I read a quote from a Christian theologian hundreds of years ago in Europe named Richard Baxter, and, and he said, I preach as a dying man to dying men. And I really love that quote because it's important that we pass on the most important parts of what we've learned to one another so we can all grow to maturity. And I think I've grown to maturity at least physically because I look in the mirror <laughs> and my hair is green and I turned 68 even though I still say, oh, look at the old people over there, you know, and I'm going, hello, you are, you are the older woman now. And uh, so as in my testimony, I would just like to share not the whole story, which I almost did with just Melody, but but let you know some things that I've learned. My uh, When Stephen and I got married, we were both in theology school. I had gotten saved up in the mountains of Northern California, and it was a kind of a gradual understanding. The Lord revealed himself not like in a one-night thing. It was a gradual, oh, Oh, and, and then I became a Christian and then I went down and, and then I, and at the time I thought, well, I must be special because God's revealing himself to me, you know, and, and so, wow, I'm, I must be one of the special people. And, and even though I knew I was a sinner, I thought I was a innocent sinner, you know, in the sense that I, when I was growing up, I had this appearance of being sweet and naive. Of course, my husband, I'm sure it's been all torn down. But, but the, the, I, I, they, they, believe it or not, in high school, I, some people nicknamed me Cherub because they thought I was so naive and sweet and I went to church and all this stuff. And in high school, when they were just beginning to do the computers, my name is Christy Christ with a Y. That's how you spell my name. Well, they put my last name and first name on this, this computer uh, rollout so that when the teacher got the rollout for the class, he could find the names. Well, they cut off the Y. And so when he came to my name, it was, my maiden name is Crump, which has always, always been fun. But he would go, Christ? <laughs> you know? so, so the students thought, I mean, I wasn't even saved, right? But I'm getting this name of cherub and Christ. So I viewed myself, I mean, they, people tried to spare me from from being corrupted in their mind because I, because I went to church and I was Christ crump, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm a cherub. So anyway, I was. So in my own mind, I still thought I'm basically good, but I sin and I still need a savior. But he, he, he knew I was just really a, a seeker of truth, which really wasn't the case. That's what I thought. And even as a young Christian, I still had the thought in my mind that um, I, there was something special in me that chose Christ. And, it, and that really was a stumbling block because I thought because I, because it was something inside of me that gave me favor with God that I needed to keep that up. And so I wanted to be the perfect Christian. And of course, I wanted to be better than you, <laughs> you know, because of arrogance that was all over me, but I didn't see it at the time. So for me, and, and that makes you a people pleaser, you know? I mean, so my, my spirituality was based on how much praise I got from people. 
which was which is a horrible lie, horrible lie, to, because people are fickle. I mean, look what they did with Jesus, you know? They praised him and then they crucified him. I mean, like we really need to be uh, confirmed by people. But, uh, but for, it, took me, it took many years for the Lord to open my eyes to, to see that it, I was saved by grace alone. 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 <laughs> and, it, and for me, it delivered me. I was in bondage before then. You know, if things went well, I thought God wasn't liked me. And when things went bad, I thought I was doing something wrong. And it was just a horrendous way to live. And to be set free by having, I, I know I was saved, but I was ignorant about the basics of the gospel. And when he told me, showed me that there was nothing in me that caused him to save me, but it was out of what's the goodness that was in him by his grace. It set me free to let myself be transformed instead of trying to hide all of it. Because I never measured up. I never measured up to God, of course, but I never measured up to my perfection. I wanted to be the perfect Christian. And the one thing I would pass on to you is that the perfect Christian knows that he or she needs a savior. And it's the perfect savior that transforms us. You know, we don't, we don't make ourselves transform to work, to work for God and all of that. We, we do good works because he transforms us by his grace through his word and the Holy Spirit. And so we have a peace and we can have a confidence that you cannot have if you don't understand the gospel. As a woman, I struggled because, you know, we many churches, you know, well, the women are, go, you're called to make cookies. And I didn't even make them that well. I still can't make puffy chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> Mine go, Pfft. but anyway, and God, and God showed me, no, I created you. And, and, and the inheritance we have, we, we have, no, we are, we, we can we can be we can stand with confidence because he is our maker and he made us this way because it because of his good good plan for us and there were people that you would say because i lo i love to study the word well you must have a man's mind you know and so i thought well then what's wrong with me you know i'm i'm a, I'm a woman and with a man's mind and why don't you, you know what is that am i a freak or stuff and then the lord's no this is a woman's mind we are called we are called to be mature in christ we are called to know the truth and be wise and speak with with wisdom that encourages people but we're not going to do it just by our will we do it by yielding to him and allowing him to, to transform us through his truth. And we will be mature. And then our husbands and our children will be uh, given life because we are speaking life because we have been convinced of it through the word. So I just, so the one thing that, I, that I've learned is that, that it's not that we become perfect Christians. Christians through own effort, but we serve a perfect Savior, a perfect Savior, and He's and and because it says in Christ we have hope, right? So that we we always can be transformed to be more like Him, no, because He is the perfect Savior, and I, and that if that's my dying. <laughs>
(laughs) message that I would say to you. And I learned it the hard way. I learned it by not knowing that for a long time in my Christian walk. When I did learn it, people that, people were like, what's wrong with her? Because I would go, you know, I was, I'm saved by grace alone. Or I'm saved by, you know, uh, my my sins are all forgiven by grace alone. And it's like, yeah. You know, like we were pastors. And yet I was, this is so wonderful, you know. And then, and then it takes away all boasting. But as, but as women, you know, we want to please. We want to please. But the one who, who's the only necessary thing for, for us to have a relationship is Jesus Christ. Everything else is good, but the only necessary thing is our relationship with Jesus Christ as women. As women. And if we neglect that relationship to serve our husband and children, then we have failed. Because I, I mean, because we're called, and I knew that, you know, it's a good thing to take care of your family, but I neglected my time with the Lord because I had six kids, we're living, my husband is not a neat freak, he just isn't. I mean, he can be neat, but he also cannot, and he doesn't enforce it, and so I'm dealing, trying to make order out of everything and trying to be the perfect wife and the perfect mother because I went on praise from all the people because, you know, and I, you know, and being the in crowd, I don't know. But uh, so I neglected time with the Lord for too many years of my child raising because I was not good at organizing enough to make sure. Make it my priority and fit in. And, I don't, and I'm not saying I wasn't saved. I'm just saying I reacted out of a lot of my experiences from my own flesh because I hadn't been renewing my mind. And, and God understands that, but it still is detrimental and it still affects your life. So you have to make that decision as women to make Jesus Christ your first love. You have to. And when we understand the necessity of that for both men and women, then we help our, our spouse to have that time so, so that they can be growing in maturity so that our home is, is really spirit-led. And he needs to allow that for you as well. Otherwise, it cripples the home. And, um, and, and, if you look, well, I'm not going to go into it, but but I have a whole thing on on um, on Mary of Bethany and and how how God said, you know, uh, she has chosen the necessary thing, and I will not take it away from her. I will not take it away from her. It's necessary. Everything else is good. All the callings are good, whether you're single, married, and all that. But the only necessary thing in this life for us as hum- is, is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And everything else flows out of that. And when that is first, all, everything else becomes blessed by that. Because then we become, we're more God-like, more Christ-like, no matter what our calling is. You know, even if we're married to an unbeliever. You know, if Christ is number one in our lives, God will redeem Whatever situation we're in. Yeah, do we suffer? Yes, we're going to all suffer in this life and have problems. They never stop. Trust me, I'm 68 now and they still don't stop. (laughs) No matter where you go, you know, they're going to be there because this this is the age that we live in. Later on, 
will be perfect. So anyway, that's one of the things I learned from being a missionary in Mexicali, living on what I call manna. A lot, you know, a lot of people define, oh, well, we live by faith, and you guys can, you, you get your money from jobs and this and that. That isn't true. Every Christian lives by faith, and it takes more faith to, re, to remember that the, the money you get, every, every provision you're getting to live comes from the hands of a loving God. And it takes more faith to remember that because you, it's easy to go to sleep and go, yeah, I'm getting the check from my job. No, you're getting it from God. But it takes less faith for me to know that because I don't know where my money's going to come from because we live by manna. And it's not that all missionaries do. We do. It wasn't that I volunteered for it. In fact, I, I, don't, I wouldn't volunteer for that because it takes, I have to really keep my mind on the Lord or else I'm going to start sinking in the, you know, oh, we're gonna, what should we wear? Where should we go? You know, my kids, we're getting, and it never has happened. God has been so faithful to take care of us. And we raised six kids on a shoe screen. And I can't, and most people don't even raise six kids because it's too expensive. Well, I can't tell you how it happened, but it did. And none of my kids went naked involuntarily. (laughs) Some even publicly that had to be rounded up. (laughs) Even in Mexico, I, oh, what is she doing? So anyway, but anyway, I just, it's just, but for us, uh, it takes less faith because I see the need that if God doesn't intervene, we're done for. And he, then he and then he provides. But he, I'm usually over here. Okay, this is where I expected, you know, God to give us the provision, and it doesn't come, and it comes from over there by strangers sometimes. I mean, because He wants us as human beings, as Christians, to always look to Him as our source, always to look to Him. That he is our source. And our, and our circumstances are always going to be changing. But if we always know that he is our source, we're on the rock. So I don't know what else of testimony. I, uh, we lived in Mexico for four and a half years. And then we moved, and a church was raised up. And then we moved back to Ohio, which where Stephen came from. And he... Um, Lived, well, he, he got saved and then ended up at the church in Bowling Green. And that's where he met Greg Weiss. And then when we got, and we, we were going to seminary in Southern California. I mean, before I met, that's where I met Stephen. And then after we got married, uh, we would visit his parents in Toledo. And then he introduced me to some of the Christian fellowship in, in Bowling Green. And eventually, after we were married and everything, I, I met Greg and, and his Wife and um, then we've known him for decades, so that's how that's how the connection is here. And but I never thought I was going to be a missionary. I just expected that we're pilgrims here, and we're and you know we're mission. We're all, we are a different people. You know, there's two different people groups on this planet. You know, God's people and those that don't know Him. And so we're you know we're pilgrims here. And uh, our home will be in heaven. So that was my thinking. But Stephen wanted to be a missionary to other countries. So when we became a missionary, I, I agreed. Because you know, I, I thought we are always missionaries. But he specifically had a heart to go to Mexico. 
And uh, when we when we left, we had well, I I made I wanted to make sure before I married him that we'd have two kids or that we, that he would be open to have children. And so I asked him, well, do you want to have kids? And he goes, sure. And I was thinking, okay, you know, one or two, that'd be that 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 would be cool. Oh, maybe six. And I'm going, because <laughs> I came from college, you know, and from the whole, you know, the new, the new thinking, you know, like children are a curse because, uh, you know, we're overpopulating the world and all this stuff. But, uh, and it wasn't that he it was really set on six, but, but we actually ended up having six and it wasn't planned. I mean, you know, we prayed for two and then two of them, I call them bonus babies, showed up without any prayer or anything. In fact, shockingly. <laughs> and, then, and then two more, uh, we were just open. <laughs> so that's how we ended up with six kids. And, um, and I'm so grateful. They're one of the greatest treasures um, I have on this planet. And, um, and life is short. And we need to be grateful for the relationships we have. And the family is just such an amazing entity because it's constantly changing because we keep growing up and then it expands and then we get, you know, I mean, just, it's, but, but God called us as human beings to walk through this world in groups, you know, in family groups where we're meant to be connected as we're social, we're social creatures. And so I'm, I'm grateful for being given the, um, honor of having a family and having children and grandchildren and if I didn't um, he would use me in another way that would, would that would be enough so anyway any other questions about who I am we, we, we now through through relationships we now are in Mexico not uh, to focus more on one group than we were before it was it was mostly Mexico, but through relationships, then we got involved in Peru, and now we work with a lot. Well, we work with the Peruvian Christians, teaching and developing leadership, but we also work with um, Wycliffe missionaries who want follow-up work with some of the uh, tribes that they gave the word to, and some of them are becoming Christians, but they have to leave because that's all they're called to do is to learn the language and and give them the scriptures. So we have been called to help with the follow-up with some of the tribes because the Wycliffe missionaries that were poured their lives out for these tribes, they love them, they're their family. They, uh, there's three of them that we're doing. It's overwhelming. <laughs> there's so many tribes, but we're, we've been, so we have been working with three, at least three tribes, um, Peruvian tribes from the Amazon. And then you get, anyway, make a long story short, we also work in Uganda. And, and uh, I've been there twice. And, and it's kind of fun that they speak English, but they don't, that's their second language. <laughs> they still, I still have to be translated in their, in their tribal tongue when I teach because that's the way it is. So, and I, when, I, I decided, because I was trying to conform myself to a role. I was trying, but, but I just have a hard time with the word role. We don't, we're not in roles. We have callings. And if God has called you to teach and preach, you need to allow him to make you as wise as he wants to, because it's not about you. It's about the body, about people growing in Christ. And if he gives you insights 
you're going to be facing him by yourself one day, after face to face with Jesus Christ, and to say to him, well, some people didn't want me to, 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 to be that into the word, you know, I'm just, so I tried really hard just to, you know, blend in and please, and he's going to say, but I wanted you to be my witness and to, and to preach the truth and edify people. And, and I, just, I just commend you all to, I mean, it's biblical, right? We're, we're all called to be witnesses. It says that we're all called to be mature and that the, the wife in, Pro, in Proverbs, she was wise. Wisdom, and wisdom comes from God. It, it's not, you can have, I mean, it, 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 there is, wisdom is not from the earth. It's from the Lord. And so he wants us not to stay babies and to be fed. He wants us to be feeders, to be mature. And, and, and some people become wise at very young ages. Why? Because they asked. They asked. Lord, <laughs> teach me. I am open to being taught. And by the Holy Spirit's grace, help me to speak forth your truth so that people will be drawn to you and through the Holy Spirit come to know you. You would be amazed what he'll do through you if you are open to it. Do not allow yourself to be lied to by Satan that being immature in Christ is okay or just coming to church makes you okay. It doesn't. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and it's ongoing. So that when you stand before him, he doesn't say, go away, you lawless one. I never knew you. We want to be like Mary, you know, and make Christ our first priority. So anyway, that's my testimony. <laughs> Not even my teaching. But is there anything? Does anybody else have any questions? I don't know. I mean, you know, it's my life. What? I speak broken Spanish and it's and because I learned it in high I learned some Spanish in high school and as it became more complex I quit. And then of course not knowing God sent me to Mexico, right? After I became saved and and so I had my Spanish wasn't too bad. My my hand language was pretty good cuz I did a lot I still do a lot of that. But, so I speak broken Spanish. If I'm in the environment, it improves a little. But it's mostly broken present tense. I had to make the choice. Well, I just, I'm, I'm not as good at, in language structure. I'm good at interpreting concepts. Like, like my husband speaks, he's good with language. He remembers the phrase and, and can re repeat it three years later. Mine goes, to to. And uh, he's he's good in Spanish and English and and stuff like that. Well, he but but when I, people explain to him something in English, sometimes he's just what I don't get it. And so I will explain to him what that other person was meaning in English, so in, in a way that he might comprehend the concept. So so I have a gift in in helping people. And clarifying concepts, that's, that's my gift and stuff. And so I decided, I used to think that I was 
going to live to be 300. I didn't, I didn't really think I was, but I lived like I thought I, like I was. I had, like when we moved from, from Bowling Green to South Carolina, and I opened up box, and we had a lot of space to put stuff so that disappeared for like 20 years. I opened up some of those boxes. I had enough crafts in one of my boxes. It would have taken me 300 years to have completed them. And I looked at it and I go, who is this crazy person? You know, to, to do that kind of stuff. But I was. I was, you know, I, someday I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then, and then finally it's just like, how many years are you think you're really going to be living on this planet? And how many do you think you have left? Maybe, Christy, you should set your priorities and focus on the most the, uh, important things for you to do in the next 20 years that I might have left and let go of doing some of this other stuff that are good, but it's just too much. I mean, this world has too much stuff that we can do in our, for our, our lifetimes. So anyway, I decided not to make Spanish my first priority, even though it would have been good for me to speak fluent Spanish. And when I, I stayed with Stephen in Peru, have been for the last several years, for about six weeks. Um, and, and really, it is, it is a problem because there's times when I, when I, I really want to have some encounters with some dear friends of mine, but, I, to, to, but to really say what I want to say, I need a good interpreter. And Steve will sometimes be there, but a lot of times he's not. And even if he's in the same room, he's busy talking to somebody else. And then I, I can't say anything, hardly. I do, I can say certain things enough that, that I think I got it across, but it, I, I am handicapped in that way. But I've, I've focused on the teachings in the few years that I have left. Just, that's just my own, I believe, calling. I just, so um, I've been focusing on that, but it has been a problem. And I would, I wish that I, if you if you do learn a language, it's, it's, very, it's a gift, you know, it's a good thing. But it's also a good thing to, to focus on whatever you need to. So it's, it's a good thing to focus on teachings too. <laughs> but yeah, my, and now my English is deteriorating. <laughs> and, you know, so it's by great, and that's why I asked the Lord this morning, please God make me coherent. Anyway. I, I gave this teaching uh, last summer in uh, Pocalpa because we have a, this teacher training thing. And they were going through the book of John. And so I was assigned to, some people did certain chapters, but I was assigned to do John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And I wanted to go, I wanted to give you this teaching because when you really spend time in the Word, I learned, I learned so much I learned so much preparing the teaching that it's just, the word is just so rich. It's just, it's just forever unfolding the glories of, of truth in the Lord and the insights. And uh, so these eight verses, I hope to, be, to do in a quick half hour. And, and you can interrupt me and ask questions along the way, okay? Because this is not just a lecture we can, you know, so be, feel, feel free to, to chime in, ask questions, give your own insights, because we have till 12. <laughs> Not that we won't spend the whole time through 12, but more than a half an hour if we have to. All right, so it's John 12, 
verses 1 through 8. And I'm using the New American Standard Bible because that's what I was um, told to use when I was going to theology school. So I just still, I, I'll read all sorts of versions, but that's, this is the one I'm, I'm doing it on. Okay, I don't know. I guess you're, I don't, if you, are you all following along? Because I don't know, are you looking at your phones for, oh yeah, okay. So it's John 12, 1 through 8. And I'm going to go through the, each verse and then talk about it. So verse 1, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So he had already raised Lazarus from the dead during this time period. The therefore, as we all know, means that because of something, you know, happened first, this is now happening. And there's lots of therefores in this part. So I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to back up to John 11, verses uh, 45 to 57, so we can find out the therefore in verse 1 of 12. Um, it says, there, therefore, this is verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary. Now, this, there were Jews that were with Mary during the, uh, after Lazarus died that were mourning with her. And so there was a, there was a lot of, you know, uh, comfort from the community because they lost their brother. Uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were siblings, and they were all single, living together in a household in Bethany. And they were disciples of Jesus Christ. They, they had already believed on him. And it says in an earlier passage in Luke that uh, Jesus, they, they described that Jesus loved them. So they had a relationship. Um, but anyway, so therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary... Uh, and saw what he had done, which was raising Lazarus from the dead, they believed in him. And it said, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. So, so they, they told the Pharisees all about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And of course, the Pharisees were not happy. Therefore, because, because the, those people those Jews who didn't believe went to the Pharisees and told the things what Jesus had done. Uh, therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing for this man is performing many signs? If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. Now, Caiaphas prophesied, but he didn't even understand his own prophecy because he was thinking, we got to kill this guy in order to keep 
the nation that we have power in and position in and the Romans are allowing to happen to continue because we don't want any chaos and, and uprisings to threaten our position. That's where Caiaphas was at. He, said, he was basically saying, come on, we need to kill him. That's what the high priest was saying. It wasn't that he, even though God prophesied something greater, that's what he was thinking. And that's, and that's what they planned to do. Even though the, the Holy Spirit through this high priest was explaining the, the uh, glorious plan of God to, to make us all one in a new, a one people in him through his death. All right, so again, therefore, because Jesus knew that this is what their intent was, he, this is after he raised Lazarus, he no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews. This is, yeah. But went away from there to the country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. And I looked it up, and it's, it's way, I mean, it's way north of Jerusalem. So he was trying to stay out of their their grasp. Okay, then it says, now, this is verse 55, now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. So they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize him. So that's the whole situation of therefore, Jesus therefore. It was a very dangerous time. Um, he, Jesus, under the threat of death, Jesus willingly returned from Ephraim, knowing it was now time to lay his life down as our Savior. So he went, he, he said, okay, let's go now. And this was six days before the Passover, and he came to Bethany. Even Lazarus was endangered. Jesus was endangered, but so was Lazarus. And he also was targeted to be murdered by the chief priests. And you go, well, why? And John 12 9 through 11, which is right after our, the, my passage, it says, uh, the large crowd of the Jews, because they heard that Jesus was in Bethany. And so a, a large crowd of Jews came to Bethany because Jesus was, was, was there. Uh, but they didn't come just for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. Because they'd heard the reports. And here's Lazarus walking around. And I would want to go see him. <laughs> I'd stand in line. Hey, there's Jesus and there's Lazarus. Isn't that odd? But anyway, but the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. He was a walking testimony of the power of Jesus Christ. And so if they had to kill Jesus, they needed to... Get rid of Lazarus. So that's where they were. What's really also to me amazing is that Bethany was only two miles from Jerusalem. It wasn't, I mean, really, two miles. Even I can walk two miles, and it's not a huge trauma for me. 
So they were right there at the door of the Pharisees within easy reach of being, being killed. Um, sometime, but and it says, so, so, it's, so that the verse one says, six days before the Passover is when he came to the city, town of Bethany, which is where Martha, Mary, and Lazarus live, which is only two miles from Jerusalem. Uh, we can see in Mark 13, verses 1 through 2, is that sometime during the first four days in Bethany, Jesus went, uh, still went with his disciples to the temple in Jerusalem without being arrested. He went ahead and visited the temple while he was staying in Bethany because it was only two miles away. And it says in Mark 13, 1 through 2, as he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, teacher, Behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. So this, this event happened uh, yeah, during, during, the, during the time he was staying in Bethany. He, he went there and they didn't arrest him. Um, and this is why all the... And, and uh, I'm, I'm again going, uh, this time I'm going on to Mark 14, 1 to 2. Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away. This is, so before, three days or before is when he went to the temple. But now this is two days away from the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. So that's why they didn't touch him when he was walking in plain public view to the temple. Because they knew it could cause a riot. They needed to get him when the people weren't aware. Um, then on, on the second day before the Passover... It says on Mark 13 that, he, that Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Again, the Mount of Olives, you could, if you were sitting on the Mount of Olives, you could see the temple from that location. And it wasn't that far from Bethany either. And then Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately because he told them, you know, this temple's going to be dismantled. And, and so they then went to him the next day on the, or two days anyway they they came up to him on the mount of olives and that privately and asked him tell us when will all these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled and so um and so jesus explains it he goes you know there, there's lots of passages of him in matthew 26 he uh it, Jesus, in Matthew, Matthew 26, verses 1 through 2, Jesus predicts his death a fourth time to the disciples. So this is two days before the Passover. To any, and it was to Peter, James, John, and Andrew. So when Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. So he's, telling, he's saying plainly what's going to happen, and it's going to happen shortly. And, and it's not the first time that he has plainly told them. Jesus had on three other occasions told his 12 disciples plainly about his approaching death. In Mark 8, uh, 31 to 33 was one of the first times that they record. It says, 
Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And that same event is also recorded in Matthew 16 and Luke 9. Uh, then the second time he told them uh, is recorded in Mark 9, 30 to 32. And, he's, and they go, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. So, I mean, they just don't get it. And then um, in Matthew, which is describing the same, same event in Galilee, it, he, it adds, and the disciples were filled with grief. They were grieved by it, but they were too afraid to ask him because they, they're, they're just... Their minds weren't getting it. Third time he said it was, is recorded in Matthew 20. And he goes, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. So this, this God, I mean, Jesus wasn't uh, being mysterious. He was telling them clearly what was going to happen when he went to Jerusalem. When and why, and that they, he would be raised again. So during the, during the same uh, two days before Passover is when there was a supper. It says, verse 2, back to John 12. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. So they, who made him a supper, we know Martha, it, it wasn't at Martha and Lazarus and Mary's house. This, it showed, because it we have parallel passages in Matthew and, Mar and Mark. So when you study John 12, you want to also look at Matthew 26 and Mark 14. It, Matthew and Mark, they're almost identical, what they say. But if they add details to the story that, that is the same in John. And they, they held this supper that was two days before Passover at the home of Simon the leper. And that you, that's, in Ma, that's Matthew and Mark that gives that information, which I found profound. I don't know. I, I have read that how many times? And it wasn't until I did the study that I, Christy, he's known as the leper. And in biblical times, leopards were considered unclean and they were forced to separate themselves from the public. The mere touch of a leper brought uncleanness, and breathing the same air of a leper was believed to be dangerous. When someone was pronounced leopardous, they were looked upon as dead and cast out of society to dwell in a special place or colony in the wilderness, living in caves or tents. In ancient Israel, lepers were commanded to wear certain clothes 
keep themselves to a certain, uh, a certain distance from people, wear special bells, and they had to cry unclean if someone was too close. You imagine what that would do to your pride. <laughs> unclean, unclean, and you were just separated. And then uh, I, I got this from... Um, from Bible history. The, 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 and then not on top of that, the rabbis viewed leprosy as a chastisement from God because of moral issues. So you deserved your leprosy. You were so corrupt, so morally disgusting that God gave you leprosy. So you, you felt as bad as you could inside and out. And that, is, that was the life of a leper. Now, Simon was not, did not have leprosy when he was living in Bethany because they wouldn't have allowed him to live in Bethany. He would have been ostracized. So he, he was a former leper. But, he was, but we, how many times do we, this person was a former murderer, and you just go, oh, well, you can't babysit for me. <laughs> you, know? you were a murderer. There's, you, you, know, you just feel like they still owned their former uh, corruption. And um, not that everyone is totally cleaned up completely at first, but, it, but uh, when God makes us clean, we are as white as snow. And we need to learn to see people through his eyes and not through our, ooh, you know. And, uh, and, 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 and the fact that a former leper is truly clean enough to have the Son of God enter his home and dine with him at his table. That's what happened. And that's the gospel, isn't it? I mean, I just go, whoa! <laughs> and, and it reminds me of where, where in Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Of any house in Bethany they could have eaten at, it was at the home of Simon the leper. Isn't that beautiful? I just, ah. And they dined together at the table. Same table, same food. There was no tainting of his dwelling. He was clean. that So clean that it was appropriate for Jesus Christ to, to, to have a special meal before his death at his house. I just, I just love that. It says, and this, is, this, is, this is a verse, I think, for all of us to remember in, uh, because of this truth. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, it says, Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. That applies to each one of us. We have all been corrupted and tainted by sin in our life, but we're not now. Yes, we, we still are overcoming sins through sanctification, but we don't own that anymore. You know, I don't, Jesus, uh, Paul was not Paul the murderer. He knew, he knew that he had murdered our Christians and he was a serial murderer in, the, in that sense. He hunted them down and gave them to the authorities. He didn't kill them directly, but he did kill them. It was through his efforts. And when he got saved, 
Can you imagine the horrendous burden he must have felt? I, I cannot believe he, that he had erased the faces of some of the people that he had arrested and realized what he had done. I mean, that's a heavy burden. And he said, I am the chief of sinners. But he said, but I have been washed and I have been sanctified and justified and I'll be glorified and I can come boldly before the throne because there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And I just, you know, and that's true for me and it's true for you and Satan lies to us saying, oh, you'll know, you know, you're always that tainted person. That's a lie. And if we are struggling with a certain sin, we can be changed. We can be transformed. We don't have to allow sin to master us. Yes, we wrestle, but we don't have to be master because God has given us the power to overcome. Sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes we have to do it every week. But, he, but through the power of, of God, we can overcome and not let sin master us. That we can be master, uh, serve Jesus Christ and do battle. <laughs> so anyway, those that were that so so they were reclining at um, the, let's see those reclining that were at that table at the minimum would have been Lazarus, Simon, Jesus, and twelve of his disciples. So we're not talking about a small meal. This was a huge meal. Martha was serving. As she had, as she did during a much earlier event, which is we we I don't know about you all, but that event I've I've been taught for ages, you know, with Mary and Martha, Mary, you know, Martha's trying to get this the supper going for all, and again she had a big group. She had Jesus, and then she had the disciples, and who knows what all, and uh, and and it was her idea to invite them in to have a meal there. And, but she, you should, I don't know if you want to read or not, but do you, all, do you all know the story? I mean, do you? Okay, so I'm not going to go into detail. But here's some interesting things about it. She, uh, Mar, it's, it's, it's good to serve. It wasn't that it, wasn't that it was bad for, Mar, for Mary to help Martha in general. To help the serving, we, that, that's, a, that's a godly thing to do. I mean, I, when I'm around women, I just love it because I had, I had some, uh, I had our Sunday school class over to eat one, after one Sunday, and I'm not used to this. But I was in the kitchen, and there were all these adult women, which I'm not around that many, that, you know, adult women. So a crumb would fall on the floor. There were five women going down and picking it up. And I'm like, oh, this is heaven, you know? Everybody is just waiting. What can I do to help? What can I do? You know, and they, oh, I'm going to do this to help. You know, it's just like, wow. And it's a good thing. It wasn't that it was a bad thing. It's just that God, Jesus wanted to show, Martha was worried about many things. And then she complained to Jesus. Don't you care? I'm out there trying to get this meal on. And, and Mary's sitting here doing, not helping me. This is just not fair. And you, you don't, don't you even care? She, she's accusing Jesus of not even caring. And, that, and he said, you know, Martha, you worry about so many things, but sometimes you've got to remember the, the most important priority, which is what I'm trying to learn. And I hope you all learn to pick the priority, even though the other is good. And he goes, Mary, Mary has chosen the 
the, thing, the one thing that's necessary, which what? At that point, to sit at his feet and, and listen to what he was teaching. And, and Jesus told Mary, and I will not take that away from her. He defended Mary to have the right to sit at his feet and, and, and be transformed and grow in his, his truth. The second dinner, Martha's serving again. She's not complaining. But so she has, I mean, he loved Martha. Martha, he's told some very beautiful things to Martha at the resurrection of her brother. So it wasn't like Martha was second rate Christian. But at that moment, she needed to learn to lighten up. (laughs) And, And he wanted her to understand that it's the first priority is to be a, his disciple. Okay, so anyway, I, I, I do a whole teaching on that because it's so, because because I really needed it <laughs> because I I had failed. So, but it's just neat to see the contrast, right? You know, there is there meal again. Martha's serving, and Mary's not there, is she? But in verse three, it says. Mary then took a pound, a very costly perfume of pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Uh, A pound in those days, a Roman pound was like 12 ounces. But that's still pretty, that's a lot. And it was pure nard. Nard was in a a very expensive uh, aromic oil extracted from an East Indian plant. And it filled the house with fragrance. Uh, notice that it says that, she, I mean, he was reclining at the table. They all did. And their feet were behind them and, and they would lean on the table. So she, he was leaning, he was, he was lying down. And so she took, took the nard, broke it. And it's an al- in an alabaster container. Matthew and Mark add that detail. And poured, poured uh, some of the oil on his feet. And then she bent down and kneeled down and wiped the oil over his feet with her hair. Pitch, she's a single woman. He's a single man. I doubt if that, that seems like, I mean, that seems like an intimate thing to do in our culture. That's a pretty intimate thing to do with, with someone. Yes, it shows honor but it's also intimate I mean he we know that Jesus loved Mary and that not in a romantic sense but he loved her and she loved him and she's a single woman and uh, and and it's just it's just not done so why uh why Mary did that was to show how just show him great uh worship Basically, it was a way to worship him. And, and what I think is interesting is why did her behavior not shock the 12 disciples that were witnessing it? They didn't say a word. They didn't think anything. They didn't consider that something to be amazed by, which I find amazing because I would have said, wow, look at that. <laughs> look what she's doing. Okay. Matthew and in Matthew 26 and Luke 2, it describes the same event, but they don't call her by name. It is Mary because there's no way 
that Jesus duplicated that twice with an unknown woman and then Mary did the exact same thing. It's the same event that happened. Um, and because of that, I can, I can add some of the details from the other passages to give you the bigger picture that Luke doesn't put it all into. Uh, it said in Matthew 26, it said, A woman came to him with an alabaster vial, which was Mary, of a very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head, on his head as he reclined at the table. So she didn't just pour it on his feet, and she poured it on his head as well. You know, so he, she was anointing his body. It wasn't just the feet. There's another woman that was a sinful woman and an adulterous woman who washed his feet with her hair, with her tears and, and wiped it. But this is Mary. So she anointed his whole being with this costly perfume. Um, at the, and Jesus, Jesus is, per, Jesus is, uh, purpose was proclaimed at his birth and before his death. If you remember, at the night of his birth, an angel announced to some shepherds, uh, you know, that uh, I bring you good news of great joy will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That was his purpose for coming. And it was proclaimed when he was born. And, and, and we also know that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was also honored with expensive gifts to honor the fact of who he was and his purpose for coming. And he was given these gifts from three Gentile magi who came from the east following the sign of his star. And they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, for, so it's interesting that at the birth you know, there was the proclamation of what he was, he was the savior and what he's planning on doing is going to bring in, you know, be a blessing to all kinds of people. And then the Magi, the Gentile Magi, gave, gave these expensive gifts to him, his parents and him, through him at birth that were used to his, his glory to help him probably live in Egypt. But then at this point, God chooses a Jewish single woman to to give to, to basically proclaim by anointing his body for what his very purpose was was to be crucified as our savior and it, and again she gave this extremely costly gift in doing that i just think it's cool <laughs> to see that you know that, that, it, that there was that pattern there. Okay, verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, and then I'll just say the other one real fast. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Jesus knew Judas. This is what amazes me. Because it says, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him. That was what was going on in his heart. And, and Jesus knew Judas's heart before he picked him to be one of the 12. And why? I don't know. It, he had his own. We don't know why God does certain things, but that's what he did. He chose, he chose a person that he knew would never really believe him to be one of his 12. And it, 
and, and yet none of the other disciples were suspicious of Judas. All the years they were, they were together until his betrayal. So it wasn't like he stood out. Nobody knew his heart but Jesus. And, it, and, and in John 6, 64 to 71, it says, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Because he experienced everything. He experienced the miracles. Everything. And the other, and the other disciples thought he was good to go. You know, they didn't know you, you get to know someone when you've been living with them for three years, you know. They didn't know. So, but Jesus knew his heart and let him be there among them. Jesus, okay. As a result of this, because people, people were offended because, it, because Jesus said that the Father must that for them to believe that it has to be granted to them from the Father. So as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore because they figured, maybe they thought, well, we can choose to follow you. And he's saying, well, not unless the Father grants it to you. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know you that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. All right, so Judas says, you know, spoke up when he saw the, that saw the, the expensive nard. Uh, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Because, you know, Judas was so compassionate, right? <laughs> no. First of all, 300 denarii is the equivalent of six months' wages. That is a lot of money. Picture what you earn a year and, div and divide it by 12 and just take off one month. And that's how much this nard cost. And she took this nard and broke it and poured it on Jesus. And it was huge, 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 a huge deal to see that much money being poured out. The denarius was equal to a day's wage. Um, so, when the, so, the, so when they saw that, it wasn't just Judas. This is the wild part. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, why this waste? Now, you've got to keep in mind, Jesus had told all 12, I'm going to die in two days. I'm going to die, but, I, but, but I'm going to be raised again. So this is, this is being done to Jesus, their, their, their Lord that they said as their Lord, that, and he's told them, I'm going to die in two days, and they are indignant that Mary would waste that on him, <laughs> on Christ. Waste it on Christ. This is his 12. And it wasn't just Judas. Why the waste? 
And they were so appalled by this waste that they scolded her. I mean, they were critical of her, angry that she would, that they could, you know, just angry. Um, perhaps Judas spoke first and they just go, oh, you know, I mean, Judas could have said, said it first and they all go, just without thinking, go, yeah, that's horrible. We need to be compassionate to the poor. And look what she did. You know, she's just, what she did was awful, just horrible. Anyway, so they were, so she was getting it from them, not because she had was wiping her hair on his feet. That was not a problem. It was poor, it was spending all that money on that perfume and just pour, wasting it on Jesus. That's what they were angry about. So I think the others were just thoughtless. They're just thoughtless. They weren't thinking, but but Judas had evil motives. I mean, he was an instigator. Verse 6, now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. That was why he was, he wanted that money for his own pur purposes. He was a thief. Um, and, and this money was donated sacrificially by people who wanted to support Jesus and, and, the, and those that were in his company so that he could continue to, to minister among the people. And many were contributing to their support out of their private means. Many women were too. And, uh, and so they all went into the pocket of Judas. And Jesus knew. That's what gets to me. He was the treasurer of, the, of that church. And yet... Jesus knew he was evil and that he let him practice his thievery without uh, confronting him immediately. Why? Don't know. God deals with each of us perfectly, but I can't be the one to judge it. Uh, but it says in First uh, Corinthians is. Uh, 13.3, it says, And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. It matters. It matters on how we give. So Judas obviously didn't, ha didn't care about the poor. Let's see. This I thought was interesting. In 1 Corinthians 6.10 it goes, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And they list fornicators, idolaters, homosexuals, and it goes, nor thieves. They, uh, they will not enter the kingdom of God. So he was a practicing thief. He could not enter the kingdom of God. He could not. And he, and he was deceived to think that he was okay. Twice, Jesus defended Mary's behavior from those who should have supported her, right? Her family, believing family. They should have been supportive, but, they, but without having that wisdom, Mary, uh, Martha attacked not only her sister's behavior, but Jesus' behavior. And he had, Jesus defended Mary against Martha and her criticism. 
her, uh, first her sister Martha, and then the criticism of the 12 disciples. How many times do you remember Jesus defending somebody in the Bible? I mean, literally, just, you know, I will, I'm protecting her from you, from what you're doing. He did that with Mary two times. And the 12 disciples, I mean, they're the apostles. They're the fathers of the church. He defended Mary because they were wrong. And she understood more than they did in that moment. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Because that's what they, you know, they would traditionally, they would, um, the custom was, was to, after a burial, to put spices on the body and bind it in linen. And so she was doing it prophetically. Caiaphas, I mean, I've heard people teach that, well, Mary didn't know what was really going on. She just wanted to worship him. No, I believe she did know. You don't give a year's wages and do what she did unless you were. I mean, she was there when her brother was raised from the dead. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm sure she must have heard that he, what the plan was. He told it plainly to the 12. I'm sure he probably said it to some of the other disciples. But she, she acted on what she knew. And the, and the, and the 12 were still blinded. That they would focus on criticizing her for wasting the perfume. And they didn't understand the moment. But she was prophesying his death and burial. And Caiaphas, who sh it should have been Caiaphas doing that. It should have been him. He was the high priest of that year. He should have known that. Instead of spending his time planning to kill Jesus... He would have seen him as the Savior and have done what Mary did. But God chose Mary to do what Caiaphas was too ignorant to understand. She had the spiritual wisdom. And God and Jesus um, told them to leave her alone. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. She did the perfect deed. Because, and it says in Ephesians that for we are all his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, God prepared, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And that is exactly what happened with Mary. He had prepared her to take the, to be in that place at that time to do that good deed that pleased Jesus. And she was the only one who now Mary or Martha might have been with her on it, you know, who knows? But we she did because Martha never said anything. She was busy serving, but she wasn't opposed. It was the disciples, not her. Okay, customary it's customary to anoint a king or high priest on the head as they take up their calling. It should have been, uh, you know, Caiaphas. But, but Mary was the one that, that was used to anoint Jesus for the purpose that he was on this planet. I mean, a single woman 
was called by God as the appropriate person to anoint the Christ for the purpose that he came to earth. That was God's choice. Pretty amazing, I think. Because, you know, like we know Moses poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him for the priesthood. Samuel, the priest, a prophet uh, took the flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head when, when he, when, because he would become the king to, to be ruler over his inheritance. And it was Mary who poured the oil, the costly oil, over Jesus' head and his feet for his, his position as, as king of kings and lord of lords and our high priest. Glory! <laughs> this is why I think singing should be at the end. <laughs> it says in verse 8, For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. In Deuteronomy, we are called to, to care about the poor, for the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. So it's a good thing to help the poor. It's, and then in Mark, uh, he said, again, he said, uh, for you always have the poor with you, and, when, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. So that's what his meaning was. You don't understand the moment. You don't get this. It's not like I haven't told you at least four times and once just today exactly what's going on. And yet you're not getting this. Jesus was not promoting the, the neglect of the poor, nor is he promoting it for us to neglect the poor. His point was that he would soon be gone. And this was the time to prepare for the very reason he came to earth to be our savior. He said, in Matthew, it, it added, For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. And then in Mark, it says, She has done what she could. And she has anointed my body beforehand. She did the, the that was her best. When we think what Christ did for us on the cross, isn't he, doesn't he really deserve everything? He is our, not only is he our creator, he's our savior. He deserves everything. Uh, a, year, a year's wage is nothing compared to what he is deserving of. And, but, but that's what Mary could do. And so it pleased him. And then both Matthew, in both Matthew and Mark, it says by ending, Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. I don't think that's been done as much as what Jesus once done. But, but what Mary was used to illustrate us choosing the one necessary thing and being used by God in such an honorable job you know, really, just like nobody's worthy to have done that, but God chose Mary to be that way. That that we need to re we need to think about this. We need to dwell on what what happened and who these people were—real people. That's why He says, 
Wherever the go- this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. I've spoken about Mary in Uganda and Peru and among the Shipibos, you know, in Peru. So anyway, now you, I've been pointing it out to us as well. Mark 14, which is, um, this happened right after because Judas Iscariot has a hard heart. Right? He's an unbeliever. He's a practicing thief. He has not entered the kingdom of heaven. Then Judas Iscariot, who was, the, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. They were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. That's what Judas did right after this supper. Very significant supper. Well, that's verses 1 through 8. I just wanted to throw out some other kernels of truth to eat on if you ever want to just think about it uh, to consider. Like Mary's great, we, like comparing Mary's great faith versus the unbelief of the other disciples and especially the, the rejection by the Jewish relig- religious leaders. You know, just looking at that contrast. And, and we could also consider how Mary sacrificially gave her wealth to Christ. Like the widow's might. She wasn't that poor, obviously, if she could, she could scrape up a year's worth of wages. I mean, but, but that could have been her wealth. Who knows? All I know is that Jesus said she has done what she could. Versus the Jewish leaders that were uh, planning to sacrifice Jesus to save their personal power and wealth. She was giving it away and they were trying to keep theirs. And also Mary boldly and fearlessly acknowledged Christ. I mean, remember, they're only two miles from Jerusalem and death threats are over them and they're in easy reach. But she fearlessly was acknowledging Christ as her Lord and Savior versus those who believed secretly. They were afraid of Jewish leaders, but not, not Mary. You know, in John 12, uh, 42 to 43, it says, Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. We should also consider that Mary was the only person Jesus ever commended to be remembered wherever the gospel is preached. The only one. I think, I mean, really, that's, and not that Mary sought that honor, but Jesus said to put her in that position. I mean, she was an amazing disciple, an amazing disciple. The one more I look into her. And then the last point I wanted to bring up is that the gospel writers, again, they were in a very male-dominated culture where the women were meant to not be uh, a, foc- a focal point, not, you know, they, they were to be behind the scenes. They, they wrote about Mary to the readers in a very sympathetic light. They wanted us to learn what they had learned from their firsthand experiences. Any questions? <laughs> Any rebuttals? <laughs> Any thoughts of uh, 
things you'd like to add? No? Because they were there. They were. It's so nice, it's so comforting to know how patient God is and how he knows, he knows who we are and what he's getting into when he committed himself to us. And that some of us were really, we don't get things very fast. But it's neat to see how um, it doesn't, it's not according to rank, like or according to position. Wisdom does not come with your position. It comes from God and you can be in any position and be wise. And you can be in any position and be a fool. Judas should have been wise. Instead, he went to hell because <laughs> he was an unbeliever. So anyway, I hope, I hope that you were encouraged. Because I still remind myself because it encourages me so 